we're going to dive into the word this morning. I'm very excited. So, and uh, we we've been going through the messy series, um, and that's something that we've we've kind of talked about a lot of, you know, maybe controversial, maybe heavy subjects. We've talked about you know sex, marriage, divorce. Um, you know, dating, you know, just all these different things and what that looks like and the idea that, that Jesus doesn't shy away from our mess, but he embraces it. And that we get to come as we are, that we get to be authentic and we get to admit that we're hurting broken people and we need our Jesus to take care of us. And so this morning, we're going to be pressing into parents and what that looks like. And I know um, even, you know, having gone through our, our, our message on divorce, roughly the rate's about 50, 50%. And so understanding that this morning, um, could be mixed emotions, you know, that you could have potentially great relationship with your parents, and it could be really healthy and amazing, and yet other people could, you know, again, come from a broken home, um, come from, a, like, a parents just non-existent in their life, and what that looks like, and so just wanting to, you know, as much grace and truth to move forward as well, but I want to talk today about the relationships that we have with our earthly parents, but the, also the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, and so if you guys have your Bibles, let's open up to Ephesians 6. Um, verses 1 through 4. And it'll also be on the screen as well. And it says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. That if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children but by the way you treat them, sorry, with anger, by the way you treat them. Um, rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And that, that, that we children, that we are called to honor and obey our parents. And I would just say this includes uh, the moments that we like it and the moments that we don't. That, that there's moments where our parents may come with, with correction and with discipline. And, and, and those maybe aren't our, our favorite moments. But that we're called to honor and love and obey our parents uh, when we agree with their decisions and when we don't agree with their decisions. And in the same way, we can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible we like and which parts we want to obey. That living out of God's word cannot be circumstantial. That we can't open up our Bible and say, oh, I like that part. That part is easy. But that part, that's it's a little more challenging. Or, eh, I'd rather not. Um, we don't to do that. And so in the same way, when we're talking about wanting to honor and, and love and, and be respectful towards our parents, we don't get to pick and choose the moments that we do so, that, that we would want to do that to the best of our ability wholeheartedly. And in the same way, I think it's healthy to address that, that, that it talks about the fathers as well, that the fathers are meant to honor their children. And so the hope would be that the relationship between parents and children would be mutually life-giving, that as we want to honor and obey and respect our parents, that the hope would be that they're, they're taking care of us, they're honoring us, they're providing for us. And so, again, that's the heart of Jesus, that it would be this mutually life-giving thing. But again, understanding that uh, every family's story is different, and that's not always the case. That in an ideal world, it would be mutually life-giving, but that, that isn't always how it is. And yet, in, it also says that the first commandment with a promise, that if we go back to the books, book of Exodus, and, and we see the Ten Commandments that God gave his people, that, that this is the first one that has that promise attached to it, that it says... Um, that things will go well and you will have a long life on earth. And so I think it's important that when we, when we look at the promises of God, we need to notice two things. The first thing is that it's important. Like it matters to Jesus when he says like there is a promise attached to something that he asks us to do. That it's critical for our health and our relationship with Jesus. And the second thing is that Jesus is always faithful to deliver on his promises. 
And so there could be moments where it is kind of a messy home life situation and it's difficult and and you don't want to do the right thing or you don't want to press in and obey. But yet when we do that, even in the moments that we don't feel like it, that Jesus is faithful on his promises to take care of his children. But there is something that I also just kind of want to, I want to say, I want to clarify. Um, I was actually going through some commentaries trying to just kind of process just some of the things on parents. and, And one of them just said, always obey your parents no matter what. And not to just play devil's advocate, but just something kind of struck within my heart that I just kind of wrestled with. And I remember talking to Jeff about it. And even Lane kind of mentioned it up here on stage that um, if you come from an abusive environment, like physically, spiritually, emotionally, um, the heart for Jesus is not that you would just be a doormat or someone's punching bag emotionally or physically, that the heart of Jesus would not be for you to be mistreated or abused. And in fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, Peter and John, they're, they're in trouble before this council because of their preaching and performing of miracles, and they're told that they need to stop, that they're threatened to stop. And he just simply says that we must obey God rather than man. That we are, we are called to obey those in authority. We are called to honor those in authority. But ultimately, like Jesus, is what we need to honor and obey first. And so if you're in, in a very abusive environment, my heart would be that you don't suffer in silence. That could be very heavy. And that could maybe be none of us, but that could be one of us. And I don't want to brush past that one person. And so this idea of, of, of not knowing how to navigate that type of environment, would you, would you find me? Would you find Lane? Would you find our leaders? Because we want to walk through with, with one another in this. And, and, and if we claim this is the messy series, that means that we live it out in all aspects. And so, again, that might just be a very small percentage, but if you're physically being abused or, 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 or things are being told that contradict what Jesus would say in his word, that, that that's just, it's, it's a little different. It's a little messy. And so I just want to clarify on that. But, but, but ultimately, again, our heart would be that, that the intention would be that this is a life-giving relationship where we pour into our parents and they want to love and honor us as well. And so if you guys have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. And I kind of want to talk about trust and a little bit of that aspect and that dynamic with our parents. And, and like I said, there might be moments that we don't like their decision or we don't like what they maybe like, like a rule or a discipline or something over our lives. And we might be wrestling with that. But ultimately, the question I have is, do we, do we, do we trust them? At the end of the day, do we trust that our parents want what's best for us? And that is fueling their motives. That's fueling the decisions they make. And in the same way, when life isn't going the way we thought, do we trust that Jesus still is in control? That Jesus is still leading us? That Jesus is still guiding us along life? Whether we agree or whether we like it, because oftentimes we, we view life as just this straight path, but there are a lot of detours and windy things along the way. And so in Matthew 7, it says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? And I want to compare and contrast just two different styles of learning, um, that there are a lot of different ways that we can, we can learn, we can observe information, that we can process. And so the two types I want to talk about this morning, the first one is experiential learning. And experiential learning is the process of learning through experience. And it is more specifically defined as learning through reflection on doing. That hands-on learning is kind of an example of this experiential learning. And the other type of learning is observational learning. And this is learning that occurs through observing the behavior of others, that is a form of social learning, and it is thought to be particularly important during childhood. 
And I think the reason why it's particularly important in those early stages is because, again, like your, your brain, your body, your mind, it's still developing, it's still processing that. Your brain isn't fully developed until the age of 25. And so there's still things that you're trying to navigate. And so often I think the time that children and their parents can kind of have this maybe tension or this clashing is because parents have maybe witnessed life more. And so they have wisdom through trial and error, through this experiential learning that, that they've seen things that went really well, and they've seen things that went poorly. And so their heart is protective, wanting what's best for their child. And so maybe there's times or restrictions or something where you're like, that doesn't make sense because the clash is this desire for independence, that as you grow older, you want to do things on your own. You don't want to be told what to do. Who likes being told just what to do? Yeah, okay. All right, Gabe. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Um, <laughs> so much. Um, but most people just don't want to be told what to do. And so, again, that's where there's this clash, this tension, because as you grow older, you want more and more independence. And so you're wanting to go from observational learning to more experiential learning, and your parents have seen more of the bigger picture. And in the same way, your heavenly Father sees more of the bigger picture. How many times do we tell God, no, I want it this way? And he's like, you, you literally see such a small piece of the puzzle. You know, you are holding a tiny, tiny puzzle piece trying to dictate your life where God has seen the completed masterpiece. And so, again, there's this just this clash or this tension. A practical example, maybe, um, who has, like, a cell phone or maybe, like, convincing your parents to get a cell phone was, like, just the worst thing ever. Um, or maybe, like, there, again, there could be tension with, like, Snapchat or, or Instagram or social media where you're like, I want those things, but your parents are like, they're saying no or different things with movies or dating or this type of stuff because they see the good and the bad. They see this kind of big scope perspective. And oftentimes... Um, you know, we're trying to, again, just grasp for independence, grasp for this understanding. And so ultimately, though, the question that I have for us is that, like, do we trust them? Like, like, do we trust our parents in the moments that make sense and the moments that don't? And I would also just want to encourage us, um, and this might sound easier said than done, but instead of being frustrated over the things you can't have, can we have a thankful heart for the things we do have? for the things our parents do provide for us. And that often at times, comparison will kill your contentment. And so instead of, I want this and I can't have it, just be thankful for the fact that they put food on your table or they drive you to sports or they drive you to music. Like the little things that we do, we can often overlook. And yet our parents are pouring into wanting the best life for for their kids. I remember as a little kid, I would constantly thank my parents, but to the point where it became annoying. You know, it'd be like, thank you, you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. You know, and like eight times back and forth until my dad was like, why are you still thanking me? And I remember just like, I'm, I'm like really little, but I remember just be like, I'm thanking you because you said you're welcome. You know, like just this like a little heart of just constantly. And what, fa- what father could be like upset with that response? He's like, whatever. Um, you know, and so, but would we have that approach? Would we constantly be thanking our father for the little things and the big things? Because the little things add up. They, they, they accumulate. And so, again, just instead of being frustrated, would we be thankful? And I would say, too, that when we have a thankful heart towards people in Jesus, it serves us well in both the moments where things make sense and the moments they don't. Because what it does is it takes all eyes and focus off of us, and it puts it on a Jesus where the perspective belongs. That in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And that ultimately, if we trust them, we don't have to like or agree 
with every decision to know that they're still looking out for our heart and they care. And I would say we can, we can look at the ultimate example of, of, of trusting the Father through the Scriptures where Jesus is trusting his Father. And there's this moment in Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane leading up to his death. And there's, I mean, his soul is hurting because he knows what's to come. Like he knows that he's about to bear the cross. He knows that he's about to bear the physical torment and the pain, but also the emotional trauma of carrying every sin that's ever been committed. And so in this moment, Jesus is broken in the garden, just needing prayer, needing time with his father. And and in Matthew 26, 38 through 39, he, he tells his disciples, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. That we see this surrender, we see this trust, we see this vulnerability. Imagine how differently humanity would look if Jesus hadn't been willing to trust his Father. We wouldn't have grace. We wouldn't have relationship. Like None of this would be possible if Jesus hadn't been willing, broken, to come to this place of saying, I don't want to do this, but I trust you. And I would just say a little bit of a side note. throughout that passage, Jesus goes back three times to the garden to pray. That the first time he presses in, he prays, there's something still anxious with his soul. So he presses in further. Goes back again. His disciples were falling asleep every time. That's a different story. But he goes back a third time. And I would just say a little bit of a side note. When you're wrestling with something in your life and things don't make sense, don't just like walk away and retreat and give up. Press into the Father more. That when you're like, God, like, I want to understand, like, Jesus, like, I want a heart that's thankful, but this doesn't make sense to me. Like, why is this happening? Continue to press into your Father. Because the heart of the Father isn't wanting you to be vulnerable, to be scared, to be confused. He wants to walk with you through this process. And so if there's something just anxious in your soul, continue to press in. Continue to seek the Father because he's there. And bear with me for a few minutes. This is where, uh, for those who know of me, I'm a huge animal nerd. And so I want to compare and contrast two different types of birds this morning. (laughs) Sounds weird. You're like, where is he going with this? There is a point, I promise. Uh, We can look at that little buddy. That's called the barnacle goose. Yeah, he couldn't have a weirder name. (laughs) The barnacle goose. uh, It's off the coast of Greenland. And their, their nest is 400 feet in the air. So they are very high up there. The problem with having a nest that's 400 feet in the air is that there's nowhere to get food. And so after three days, only three days, poor, poor buddies, the parents leave to the bottom. To, they want to get food. And so they're kind of waiting for the little baby to make its way down. But here's the problem. The barnacle goose can't fly after being three days old. It can barely walk. And so what it is forced to do is it is forced to go up over the ledge, barely knowing what's going on, and it has to leap. It has to jump in order to survive. And so you see this poor little barnacle goose, like, flying in the air, and it'll, like, hit a rock, and then it'll, like, fall further to the ground, and it'll hit a rock again, and it lands. And and it's kind of, like, dazed and confused, but then it doesn't actually end there because the parent's trying to, to, to gather as many as possible because there's still predators on the ground, so they're having to move. So this little barnacle goose, half the time, is dazed and confused, trying 
to find their parents. And here's the sad part. When you think about a little baby goose that's three days old trying to make a 400-foot jump when it can't fly, it's got about a 50-50 success rate. About half die on that jump alone. And so we see that. Now let's look at the emperor penguin. Aw, right? Can you say aw? It's so cute. So cute. And Antarctica in the winter is one of the harshest conditions on the planet. It's about 40 degrees below zero. And so these emperor penguins will travel 80 kilometers to their mating grounds. But then here's the thing. Once they get there, the mother will leave for 65 days to go gather food. Because once the baby's born, it needs to eat. And so for 65 days, this father does not move and it takes care of this egg because if the egg falls on the ground, within minutes it'll freeze and the baby dies. And so this, this father literally is like kind of huddled over, like keeping it like warm with, with, with its body for 65 days, remaining still, not moving, not eating, not anything, just protecting this egg with everything in him. And then often, you know, the, the, the baby will actually hatch while the mother is still trying to gather food and still trying to co- co- come back. And so the father, in the same way, because this baby doesn't have enough body warmth to stay alive on its own, continues to cover him and, and, and actually has um, a secretion similar to milk from their stomachs that they'll actually try to feed to keep this baby alive while the mother is still coming back with food. But in that time, it will barely move and it will not eat And it remains. The reason why I say this is when it comes to our life, how do we portray our relationship with Jesus? I think often at times we may feel more like the barnacle goose where our father's non-existent. God, where are you? And, 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 and I don't know what to do, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm alone on a 400-foot cliff, and my only option is to jump and hope for the best. And often at times, spiritually, like, I'm overwhelmed. There's a storm. I don't know if I can handle this. God, where are you? You're waiting on the other side, hoping that I make it, but I might not even make it. There might be a 50-50 chance whether my heart can endure this season. Do we see Jesus that way? Or do we see Jesus as this emperor penguin that, that because of the storms, because of the weather, because of the conditions in life, would not survive without the Father's warmth, would not survive without the Father's love. And so in moments where we feel like Jesus is absent, we're like, where are you? He's actually covering us the entire time. He's not moving. He's not eating. He's just so consumed with taking care of his kid that that's the focus. And so moments where we feel like, God, like, are you even here? He's covering us far more than we could ever imagine. And I would just say, the Father's love for you is greater than you could ever possibly comprehend. That often at times, again, we feel like that barnacle goose just having to jump and hoping things go all right. But yet the Father's love will cover us, will surround us, and will protect us every time. And I know Lane touched on a little bit earlier in worship, and I love it. But I also just want to say that the way that you look at your heavenly father can either serve as an enabler or a hindrance for the way that you perceive your heavenly father. And what I say by that is the idea that if, if your earthly father, to be honest, is distant, is cold, I have to constantly earn his approval just for him to acknowledge me and notice me. Then often, if we're not careful, we can see Jesus that way. We can see Jesus as distant. We can see Jesus as, again, I'll hope, I'll see you on the other side. I hope you make it. Or you're not even there. And yet the heart of the Father is he, he adores us. 
Like, like he's so invested. And so whether you have, like, whether you have a great earthly father or whether you do not, our heavenly father's heart is the same. That it's constant, it's faithful, it's loving, it's nurturing, it's protective. That the heavenly father will fight for you. No matter what. Let's hypothetically, <coughs> sorry, let's hypothetically say, as a youth pastor, I just like take like, you know, 10 kids to the beach. Like, hey, we're going to go to Seaside. We're going we're gonna to do arcades. We're going to walk the beach. We're going to play volleyball. We're going to have a great time. It's sunny weather. And, and we have a phenomenal time. And I drive back and parents are like, hey, where is so-and-so? And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> we had such a good time. But poor little Billy was, you know, swimming and kind of just got too far. And then another person was playing arcades and I couldn't find them. So eight out of 10, that's not bad, right? Like, I mean, like if we look at grades, like that's a B, like that's not even like barely passing. Like I'm in that solid B range. No, no, no. I would be fired like immediately. I would like parents would be freaking out. Parents would drive to the beach. They'd be like, what are you doing? And and, and it's not just like a numbers game. Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm batting all right. I say that because that's the heart our father has for us. That often at times we can feel like we're, we slip between the cracks. And like, does Jesus even notice me? Yeah, he notices them and her and him and everyone over there. But does Jesus notice me? And I would just say, each one reach one. That's the heart of the Father, that he sees everybody. And he's not comfortable with eight out of ten kids coming back, if you know what I mean. He wants all of them. That's the heart that the Father has. Actually, in, in Matthew 18... Uh, verses 12 through 14, it talks about the 99 sheep. A lot of times in the Bible, we're compared to sheep. <laughs> Fun. Um, and so it just says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hill and go out and search for that one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that did not wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly f- It's not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. That you are his prized possession. You are the apple of his eye. You are his masterpiece. You are the reason why he endured the cross. You're the reason why he saw that as worth it. Like Jesus is so deeply in love with his kids. And and regardless of our home life, Jesus wants you to know that. That in Hosea 11, 8 through 11, the context of this passage is the book of Hosea is talking about the Israelites, God's chosen people, and how they're in this continual process and cycle of sinning and rebelling, sinning and rebelling, and it's breaking the heart of God. And so in this, like in this passage, he's basically warning them of the wrath that is coming, basically saying, like, I will demolish you. Like, I will wipe you out. Like, I, like you will have consequence. Like God is gracious and tender and loving, but God is also just. And in this moment, like, like that's what we're expecting. We're expecting this anger. We're expecting this frustration. And yet his response is so different. His response says, my heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. For I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion, and when I roar, my people will return from the west, and I will bring them home again. Again, in moments where we expect anger from our Father, 
we find tender love and mercy. We find this just gentle spirit and demeanor because, again, we were bought and paid for with the highest price. And so where sin disqualified us, God showed a showed us grace. But I think often at times our fear is like, Jesus, Father, if you really saw what my mess was, you would run, like you would flee. Yet Jesus died so that he could embrace your mess. Jesus died so he could pursue it. Jesus died because he loves you, and there is nothing that we could do to ever disqualify us from that. That I, you can never out the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And there is not a single mess big enough to scare God away. That I think in moments where you're like, God, if only you knew. He does know. But God, if only you saw the pain, or only if, if only you knew what I did last night, or if only you know my thoughts or my sins or my fears or my failures. Jesus is embracing all of that, and he just wants to take care of his kids. That's all that he wants. If the worship team wants to come back up, we're, gonna, we're just going to close with, with, with one last story. Um, if there's two things that you guys could know about me, it's that I'm very uncoordinated, and I love food. Those are, those are very two, very two important things. And so growing up, uh, you know, even the saying like, oh, it's like riding a bike, you know, like for me, it was just like anxiety overload because I could not ride a bike to save my life. And so, but what happened is our family was very outgoing, very active. And so they're like, no, like come, you know, like we want a bike ride. And my dad always knew the way to my heart, knew how to bribe me. He said, son, if you want a bike ride, you can pick where we go to lunch. I was like, game changer. And so, and at that age, it wasn't the quality of food, it was the quantity of food. So I was like getting ready, I was like looking up buffets, I was like, we're gonna, and so just (laughs) excelled by that. But I remember being on this bike ride, trying to just awkwardly navigate, you know, just this uncoordinated little kid, just trying not to crash, trying not to fall. And I remember being thirsty. And not the thirsty where you're like, in a minute, I'm gonna get some water. In the minute where it's like, if I don't have water now, I'm gonna pass out. Like, I'm Thirsty. And so I grabbed, but, but m- most people, normal people, would do one of two things. You would either pull over to the side and you would drink your water like a normal person, or you would, if you're more talented, have one hand on the, on the steering, you know, and then grab the water and kind of multitask. I let go of the bar completely. I grab the water and I just start chugging. And obviously there's nothing on the, on, on, on the handlebar. So it just veers to the right. I go down a hill and fall face first into Blackberry Briars. And my bike goes flying and I'm just caught and I'm overwhelmed and it hurts because I'm bleeding everywhere. And I remember just kind of crying out to, out like for my father. I was like, dad, you know, as he's like driving away and, and he sees, and my brother's laughing. My brother's on the ground, <laughs> but my father has a different response. He comes up, he gets out of the bike, and he dives right in, and he pulls me out. And our, my dad is being cut in the process because the briars are messy, and the briars hurt. But my dad doesn't care. My dad just wants to make sure I'm okay. And so he brings me back out, and he takes care of me, and he patches me up. And I would just say, that's the heart our Father has for us. That often in life, like, we think everything is going great. And then we take a detour into the thick of life in pain, into briars, into hurt, into brokenness. And we're just desperately crying out to our father, hoping that he's there. And every time our father is faithful and he gets into the briars, he gets into the mess. And, you know, Jesus shed blood so we could have life with him. It wasn't easy. And yet Jesus would stop at nothing to take care of us and to make sure that we are saved and we're okay and we're not hurting. And I think often at times when we're in that mess, our natural tendency is like, Jesus, don't look at me, run away. 
Like, like, like you don't want to, like, don't see my brokenness. Don't see my pain. Don't see my failures. And yet Jesus doesn't care. He just wants to take care of his kid. Like, he just wants to wrap him up, and he just wants to cover and surround him. So as we close, like, I just want you guys to know that's the heart of our Father. He just wants to take care of his kids. He's protective. He's faithful. He's there. And so we are absolutely called to honor and obey our earthly parents. And can we give them grace because they're human just like us? You know, they do the best they can, but no one's perfect. Only Jesus is. But whether you have a great home life or whether it's tough to go back, just know that Jesus wants to embrace you for all that you are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because he just cares and he's faithful. Let's pray. Jesus, we're humbled by the love that you have for us. And that in moments where, where we're covered in pain, we're overwhelmed. Jesus, those are the moments you reach out. Those are the moments that you're faithful. Those are the moments that you're pouring in, you're investing, because you are a good, good father. That's who you are, and we belong to you. That in, 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 the, book of, in the book of John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it wasn't arrogant. It wasn't cocky. It wasn't him saying, I'm better than all the other disciples. It was him knowing that the greatest identifier that he could carry was the very fact that Jesus loved me. And when we walk out of here knowing that our father is so deeply invested in his kids and that the greatest thing that we could carry is we could say that I am the one that Jesus loves. That is our heart. That is our prayer. And we thank you and we love you. In your name, amen.